I like the Omega Directive, but it's also like incredibly goofy. It's a in likeable, a way that yeah. I'm not quite sure it realizes. It's a likable bad episode because I did enjoy it. You know, it is nice seeing these. Obviously, the journey of Seven of Nine is something that I'm interested in. It's what the show is the most interested in. Sure. And, you know, to have, you know, this is the next step in her journey is kind of developing as kind of a spiritual life. I think that's a very interesting angle for the show to go into. Um, well, yes. I mean, yeah, it's interesting, right, though, because I, I, I think that, yes, Seven developing a spiritual side, I don't necessarily know is the right reading. I think it's adding a spiritual dimension both to the Borg and having Seven of Nine kind of adopt that as her religion in a way, which is is strange. Oh, fair enough. That's a better um, in a way of phrasing it. Yeah. Because this episode obviously is about faith, is about religion in a way that is maybe not clear immediately. Um, and I think it works. And I think that there's a lot of good exchange here between Janeway and Seven of Nine about yeah. the nature of faith, about perfection. And, you know, Janeway reading the... Janeway reading the situation appropriately, right? And and saying to Seven of Nine that, like, this is a spiritual thing. You are having a religious experience. And Seven of Nine originally does not read it that way. And that she is couching the, the Borg's, like, sort of worship of the Omega Molecule in, in very particular scientific terms that it is perfection and that the Borg are going to use it because it would be this inexhaustible power source and all these kinds of things. And it also kind of like puts that, it also puts that into a stark relief, right? Where she real she says that the Borg, you know, hundreds of thousands of Borg drones were killed and 4,700 ships were destroyed and all these kind of things because it's almost like a, in a sense that those deaths are almost like a like a religious crusade. I mean, yeah, they it, they, it's they almost, are. It's worth it almost to her. Yeah, like she doesn't really ever question that. I mean, in, in the same way that like the the faithful never really question a religious crusade. Like, yeah. well, those people died because we're trying to find God or whatever. We're trying to protect the faith, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, 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 in a light, the Borg who died as a result of the experiment are martyrs. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're 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 martyrs, and and it's a really interesting choice for the show to to, hmm. to go down. I mean, I guess it's a good time to check in with how the how Voyager is kind of putting its own stamp on the Borg because hmm. the show is doing a lot with them, but it's doing a lot with them in a very particular way, of course, which is talking about the Borg in terms of someone who has been. Uh, disconnected from the Borg and that seven of nine still has a lot of strong emotional attachments to the Borg, to the experience of being a Borg. She is still uncomfortable being human in a way that I don't think is immediately clear. Mm. And we're not really that far into Voyager's examination of the Borg either. I mean, this is like, we're getting towards the end of the fourth season. Now the Borg first appeared at the end of the very end of the third season, but it's not like, it's not like we're seeing the Borg a lot yet, right? Yeah. And so I actually thought that all, this was all... going to be a Borg episode. You know, oh, they meet the Borg and they're fighting over this molecule, like, but right. But it's all it's all mitigated by seven yeah. and nine, and I, I I think that's the right choice for the show. I mean, I don't think the show needs the 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 actual Borg, right? I mean, seven of nine is enough, and 
But you also get this weird thing where this originally is an episode which seems like it might be an ensemble piece about problem solving, and it, it turns into a Seven of Nine Janeway episode again. And I mean, I like it. I think it's good, and it has a lot of interesting things to say, but it's also deeply weird in a way that I don't know it, it completely understands. Yeah, I mean, I initially thought this was going to be a seven of nine, like, data's day kind of episode, you know, because it begins with her, you know, going over her schedule for the day and walking around and, you know, waking up and all of that. Um, but I think this is a good place for Janeway and seven of nine to get to because, you know, in a way, this is seven of nine following protocol on something that is very important to her, right? Like, she does listen to Janeway's, you know, talking about that. And when she does, you know, try to study the molecule on her own, you know, she bring it, she brings up her proposal through the proper channels and in the proper way. And she kind of accepts and understands that, you know, even though she... And in a way, she's rewarded for doing the right thing by having a glimpse of God in that way. Like, she does still manage to get something out of this molecule. It's not as if she doesn't have any opportunity to study it. I agree with that because I think that that this is kind of a – this is a logical extension of, of, I think, the development of Seven of Nine throughout the fourth mm. season, right? Like she and Janeway have, have butted heads a lot. You know, she she went she she very blatantly defied uh, Janeway in, in Hunters and Prey, um, and and sent the species eight four seven two uh, victim back to the Herogen, and that sort of was like this horrible thing that that she did that Janeway just could not yeah. forgive and kind of like slapped her on the wrist and you know she's had to earn her trust back the show has checked in with that from time to time I remember Chakotay talking to her about this etc cetera, etc cetera. and this is almost the the sort of like I, I don't want to say it's the end point of that it's certainly not um, seven of nine and Janeway are still going to be butting heads that's kind of a fruitful thing yeah. for the show to do and I think they're realizing that that those those two actors work very well together in that context but this is a really fraught episode for that because seven of nine is earning Janeway's trust back. She is starting to do things more in the Starfleet way or starting to accept that Janeway is the captain and that she needs to follow her orders. And she's starting to realize why, right? She's starting to realize why that command structure is in place. And then this episode throws a wrench into that because she's getting better at this. And then suddenly she is confronted with the Borg God essentially. Yeah. And is her is her development as a member of this crew going to be enough to stop her from doing something yeah. that is very contrary to to her religion in a sense and it is right like and i think that's kind of the, yeah. the, the power of the episode yeah and, and i think also janeway is figuring out how to how to express that. I mean, this is, you know, you say it's the Borg God, it's the Federation devil in a way. Like it's something that, mm-hmm. you know, regular people in the Federation aren't even allowed to, you know, know the name of in a way. And, um, you know, th- I, 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 there's that wonderful bit when she's, you know, s- saying, you know, the found, you know, the final frontier has its boundaries and it's Omega. And, you know, I may be a scientist, but I'm also a woman who sometimes knows when to quit. And it's like, if there's one thing we have said about Janeway is that she will do goddamn anything, right? Like, she will, you know, ally with the Borg and kill Tuvix and, you know, do all of these things. And 
you know, she looks at this and she's saying, hell no, we're not doing it. No, no, there is no way. Like, even though this is a molecule which could very likely get them home in about 30 seconds, like, no, we're not dealing with this. Like, that, that's, you know, this is a Nixon goes to China moment. Like, if Janeway says something should not be dealt with, this should not be dealt with. And, um... But she also understands the significance of this to Seven of Nine and is able to figure out how to, you know, finally get Seven of Nine to follow the order. Well, yeah, I agree with all of that. And I I mean, I do want to talk about Janeway more. But I, I think the other thing that is linked to that, of course, is, you know, this very clear idea that that for Starfleet, you know, this Omega Directive where the name the, the episode gets its name from, um, you know, is this top secret thing that is only in effect if, if a, a Starfleet ship uh, detects the, the Omega molecule out there and only the captain knows about it. And, uh, of course, it's a different situation for them because... As Janeway says in this episode, after she's talked into telling the crew about it, that usually what would happen is a captain would contact Starfleet Command and they would send some sort of specialized unit out to deal with this. And she doesn't have that option, obviously, because they're lost in the Delta Quadrant. They're 60,000 light years from help. And it's a very precarious situation for Janeway. I think this episode speaks a lot to Janeway's her 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 duty her sense of duty honestly and the other part of it as well i think which is very interesting is that you know you say that this is the the federation devil which i think is 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 an interesting you know it's an interesting subtextual reading of the omega molecule but it's also a little on the face of it like if you look at it on a on a purely in in universe explanation it, it is inaccurate because starfleet is very much looking at the omega molecule in pure scientific terms oh, and yeah. saying here is something that is very interesting it could be an inexhaustible supply of energy all these sorts of things but it's too dangerous we can't let anybody do this in a sense it is you know a a nuclear bomb sort of situation yeah. it's, it's north korea having a nuclear bomb or something like that and Seven of Nine is having the exact opposite reaction to it. She thinks that it is this mystical, spiritual, godlike thing. And it's a very interesting examination of the two. And it's also a way that the show, I think, is reversing the 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 motivations of those two characters sometimes. You know, yeah. in a certain sense, you know, Seven of Nine talks to Janeway about how she has this scientific curiosity and things like that, but this she does not, right? And Janeway, I think, is not allowing herself to have scientific curiosity about well, this in a very interesting way. You know, it, it, it's both the Federation and the Borg have costs in dealing with Omega, and the cost of studying Omega is, um, you know, the deaths of all of these, you know, people. Now, for the Borg, just drones are nothing, you know, that doesn't matter. Um for the Federation, obviously, every life is going to be very uh, – uh, uh, that loss is all going to be felt. Now, you know, let's remember that the Borg – we had a few – you know, we talked about the Borg's immortality in a way. The Federation, you know, which is a very secular thing, does not have a notion of immortality and, you know, therefore is going to view each life as very important. And that cost is too great. Also, there is something about how it fractures subspace too, you know, which is a – problem for a 
uh, interconnected society as the Federation. You know, the worst case scenario is one area of Borg space is corrupted and all the Borg in that area can never be contacted again. Again, individual Borg are not really, you know, not really important. It would be worth it. Um, There is also this mention that the Prime Directive is suspended for this mission. Yeah. and And that the the risk of Omega is so great that suspending the prime directive, you know, is worth it to stop it. And I think that's well, an, in- that's an interesting thing too. Like it, 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 if it mean if, if stopping this Omega problem means you have to reveal yourself to a pre-warp society, so be it. Those consequences are less than the consequences of studying Omega. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I certainly agree with you, but I also think that you know Janeway's declaration, the Prime Directive mm. is rescinded for the duration of this mission. You know, um, is that a her thing? Yeah, like I don't know if we're supposed. to, I mean, I think that we're not really. I, I, I don't know that we're really supposed to read into that that she is like officially rescinding the Prime Directive. I think it's more like a badass line that sounded oh. good. Certainly, I think it's true i mean yeah but she could ignore the prime directive without having to like officially rescind the prime directive i don't know and i got I was, the sense that it was made you know part of the mission you know part of the mission parameters like that says it in the briefing you know it is possible right i mean i think that that the the idea that there is this and it, it, the name of it is very is obviously chosen very deliberately as well. Oh, yeah. like the prime directive is the first directive, the Omega directive, <laughs> you know, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet, all those kind of things. Right. I mean, I don't need to belabor that point. You're all very intelligent, but I actually didn't pick up on that. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, you're all intelligent, but we're <laughs> Um, that's actually really fucking clever. Oh my God. I I would have been much more excited for the episode if I'd thought about it. And that's like, what could it be? But, but it is the case that, it's a directive, right? It is the yeah. thing that is like superseding the prime directive and everything else that is guiding Starfleet and, and, and that you have to do whatever you can do. Now, of course, I think that in a case where, you know, let, let's thought experiment this out because Janeway says as much in the episode that in a normal situation, the captain is supposed to conflict, to contact Starfleet mm. command and not actually do anything about this. Yeah. But Janeway is essentially improv, improv here. She, she's yeah. having to create uh, a solution to this on the fly because it was never thought about. It was never yeah. intended for a Starfleet captain to have to deal with this herself or himself. Yeah. They call the bomb squad. There isn't, they, they, in this case, they have to do with them. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's also part of feeding into why she I mean, it's it's very smart on the episode's part to have her go to seven of nine and say, "Okay, well, here's you're the only other person I can trust because I have to trust you. And then seven of nine essentially talks her into telling everyone else what's going on. And so all of that is true. But I also think that there's a real implication here that this is a this is a very fine line that they're all walking Mm. and that. This is very, very deliberate for this one thing, but it's not for a blanket sort of no. idea, right? And is that satisfying? I mean, I think so. I think it makes sense. I think the episode establishes the Omega Molecule as enough of a threat to the very existence of intergalactic civilization yes. that it is true. But it's also a little weird. Yeah, it... it, 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 it... 
in, I, I think you said there was a hokiness to the episode, and that's in that, you know, and I don't. It, it, it seems like the kind of thing that's so dangerous that if it was really that dangerous, we should have heard about it before. You know, obviously they didn't come up with the idea till now, and it's fine that we can say that. You know, I think the episode kind of suggests that it's so dangerous that it's so top secret that again most people don't even know that this thing exists you know you know probably only the most advanced of scientists know and they know about the ban on it and they know why there's a ban and all of that you know yeah i mean certainly that's the case i i I think that the idea of course is that this was when this happened uh in the 23rd century i think they said Mm. it it was the case that they they very quickly hit it they very quickly classified it um, Starfleet is not really an organization that has a lot of classified information, but this was one thing they classified. And I mean, I, I also just as an aside, I, I love the brief mention of Carol Marcus and the Genesis device. Cause yeah, it's, yeah. Really, it's a really nice callback, but you know, I also think that, that, that this is something that is so beyond the pale for Starfleet, you know, in a, in, in a similar way to some of the stuff that DS nine was dealing with on perhaps a more human level that, you know, this is a much more technological than anything else. This is a, This is not a self created yeah. problem, but they need to deal with it, and I think that it does. It it does work with the way that Starfleet and the Federation believes, of course, because they do believe in letting everybody do what they want. But they also feel that that's the best way to safeguard the the galaxy and and safeguard, yeah, you know, life and all that kind of stuff. And so them having this like opposite reaction to this one thing almost kind of is the exception that proves the rule in a way yeah this is so dangerous that even somebody with the best of intentions somebody who is going to use this to wipe out hunger and power throughout the entire galaxy you know and you know the temptation again to weaponize this is so great and so destructive that this is just beyond the pale yeah there there is no way that this will not be turned to evil eventually even yeah, if it's just I, by accident. And I think that, you know, Chakotay, without even knowing any of this, when he's arguing with Janeway towards the beginning of the episode, is, is so is so nicely played because that's exactly kind of the argument he's making. Like, he doesn't know what's going on, but he is arguing with Janeway that they deserve to know. And, you know, I think he's right, frankly. And Yeah, you, you get know, the sense that they feel like, you know, if somebody hears about this thing that, you know— better re- even remove that temptation you know you, you don't want somebody hearing about this and you know trying again even if they're meaning well to handle it yeah and i mean to be clear i think that they do handle it about as well as they could now it is i think it is complicated by the fact that that at the end of the episode omega does briefly stabilize itself and you're kind of like left to wonder what that means and i don't think it means anything in particular really but i do think it's just a way for seven of nine to briefly experience the wonders of seeing her yeah yeah no no that that's all that i took from that i didn't think that like i don't think that the series is going to end with them figuring out how to get stabilized omega as a fuel like i know you know so it's not like that's it was foreshadowing that or something about that again even if it's just a you know, Janeway even seems to say, well, it's so random that, of course, you know, eventually it will stabilize for a moment. Like, that's just, you know, it, it, in an infinite possibility, you know, stabilization will happen at some point, And 
you know, what is more important that whatever the reasoning was, Seven of Nine was put into that particular position to see this at that particular moment. You know, if Mm -hmm. there are a hundred things that could have gone different in her life to that means that she would not be there seeing it, but she was. And that is very profound to her. Yeah, yeah. And and there's two other things that I I, want to briefly touch on with this episode. Uh, First of all is when Seven puts together her little team to to help her stabilize (laughs) the molecule and destroy the molecule, she's giving them Borg designations. Yeah. Once again, Harry Kim is very put upon and he's like, stop calling me that. And it's a funny scene and it's also indicative of the ways in which Seven of Nine operates and thinks. But it's also a little disturbing because one of the through lines with Seven of Nine's character, and I think especially with how the doctor has been giving her basically like etiquette lessons and and human interaction lessons is you don't do this to people. Like you don't give them names that they don't want to be called. It's very disrespectful. And I don't know why. Particularly. I I would say that like, I can see Harry Kim not telling her that because that's (laughs) who he is, but someone should have told her that. I don't know. In a way, though, this is a religious experience for her. So I think she's just kind of getting a little fundamentalist at this point. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't know. It's just like it's Christmas. All right. We got to put on our church clothes. You know, let's let's decorate for this. Like, you know, you suddenly just like, you know, mom's coming. I got to pretend I go to mass every week. That kind of thing. Almost, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I think that's part of it. You know, she and this is so important that she doesn't have time to, you know, She's decided that it's more efficient for them to learn her way than it is for her to do the etiquette stuff. So, you know, this is too important for that. Yeah, yeah. And and then the other thing I, I briefly want to touch on is I just I like to give Star Trek Voyager credit where credit is due. You know, one of my criticisms of the show as a whole is that I feel like it doesn't have uh, as strong an attention to detail as I would mm. like it to. And uh, I have to say, you know, I have to applaud it for... Um, at the very beginning of the episode, Harry Kim and Tuvok are playing Kalto. That is yeah. a direct follow-up to Tuvok telling Harry Kim that he would teach him how to play Kalto in the third season episode. So, good job, Star Trek Voyager. You did something. You paid attention to a previous <laughs> uh, scene in an episode, and you followed up on it. I love how uh, she is you know, factoring Harry Kim time into her day. Now she just knows like, all right, there's going to be, you know, 15 minutes of Harry Kim just being Harry Kim. Like, it sucks. I got to deal with that. Like, check it off the to-do list. You know, it's just part of my annoyance of a day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, I think that's all we have on the Omega Directive. We will move on to Unforgettable in just a moment. But before we do that, I do want to remind all of you that this podcast is listener supported. We do rely on your donations each and every month to help us continue to make this wonderful podcast that you enjoy so much. So if you would like to give us a little bit of money, please go to patreon.com slash show. Thank you very much. All right, let's talk about Unforgettable, which I think probably Richard is not going to be too keen on. It was stupid. It was sad. You know, it's goofy TOS shit, and I like it for that, you know, but... In a lot of ways, this episode reminded me of The Outcast, except with, like, ten times less to say. Yeah, to some degree. Like, the shape of the plots. A character falls in love with somebody from a planet with a weird rule. Um, Ultimately, they convince the person to rebel, but then they're taken back and done the brain thing, and suddenly they don't want it anymore, and they leave the 
person lovelorn and you know confused yeah that 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 comparison makes me like this episode less yeah because again the the outcast was that but had a very strong social message this doesn't (laughs) did i ruin it i'm sorry no i no i'm struggling with this because i i i agree with you but i also think that's kind of not the point of the episode and I, and, and that is a fair thing to say yeah it's the outcast was very yeah like the outcast was very specifically trying to tell a mess you know trying to have a message about yeah. this and unforgettable is not that episode it's not trying to have a message about anything it's not trying to do anything other than tell a chakotay love story and i think it's successful i you yeah. know we always have a problem with straight people drama in star trek and I don't really mind this episode. I think that Chakotay deserves happiness. I like Chakotay as a character. I really like, uh, you know, the character of Kala, I think her name is. And it's very well done. I think there's a lot of interesting subtext to their relationship. And I just think it works very well. I, I like them and I like her. No, I agree with that. It's a... You know, I do buy their chemistry in the episode. I do like the way they handle it. Um, again, you know, the I say goofy TOS shit in the in the tone where I am learning to appreciate goofy TOS shit. And this is, you know, the kind the kind of weird alien that Star Trek is going to give you. You know, it's based around a concept. It makes no sense in real life, but that doesn't really matter. It is to uh, it, it it is more about the pro about the concepts of memory and, you know, what it means to fall in love with somebody and would you make the same choices if you did it again kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you know we, they're there for the grace of God go I and, you know, yeah. if, if not for time and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think all that is true and certainly that is part of what the episode is, is, is trying to say about the nature of love if you want to get very grandiose about it and why not because it's Trek about in Star Trek. But at the same time, this is a just very straightforward episode that is very good for Chakotay. Yeah. I think that Chakotay is a character that the show has a good handle on. They know what to do with him. And he finally gets a chance to have a love story that is not centered around him weirdly pining after Janeway, which is <laughs> a good choice, you know, because I think that Jay, like Chakotay needs an episode like this. And he got an episode like this in the third season as well, right? Unity, where... Uh, he briefly had a romance with the Borg drone lady that found a wig somehow. And I think this is good. Like if that's, if this is the kind yeah. of Chakotay story we get once a season, like he's an attractive man and women are going to fall for him and it's all fine. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. And you know, this the- actually does clarify for me why Janeway was so gung ho. I'm like, you shouldn't be suspicious. Go off with her. You kids have fun. I mean, yes, there are, so, A, I, just, I, I don't want to forget to mention this, but this episode was directed by Andrew Robinson. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, there you go. Uh, good job, Garrick. And I also, I, there's, I don't know, there's a couple different directions that we could take this conversation. I think that the way that I want to go with it is to talk about this alien species, the Remora, which is an interesting choice of words, mm. obviously, or <laughs> choice of term, because... This is something Star Trek Voyager likes to do more, I think, than a lot of other Star Treks besides TOS. And if you look at Star Trek Voyager, this is an argument that we have made. I think this is an argument that other people have made that kind of in tone 
and in approach to storytelling, Voyager is, is the closest to TOS of any of the other Star Trek. Mm-hmm. This is a show that is very interested in high concept alien species that don't make a lot of sense if you look at yeah. them from a real life point of view, but are there to tell a story or give some sort of subtext to make it all the more resonant and meaningful at the end of the episode. This is something they do a lot. I mean, the Vidians are are kind of the first example of this, which, and then you get something like the alien species from innocence, right? Where they're, they're aging backwards. And now you get this species where they, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. They have some sort of pheromone thing that happens and people, you know, they're, they're, the explanation in the episode is that they go into short-term memory, but this pheromone affects the engrams in the brain, and it doesn't translate into the long-term memory. And so once they leave, you slowly forget about them. That's interesting. Does it make sense? I don't know. Not really. But that's okay. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. I think it's there to yeah, add some flavor to what would otherwise be a pretty bog-standard love story. I mean, that's the... It's a thing I appreciate because, you know, one of the reasons I love science fiction is because you get to do weird shit, right? Like, I, 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 sci-fi and fantasy is where you just get the limits of the imagination, you know? There's a reason I don't like, you know, fantasy that's just warmed over, over token. You know? Sure. There's, there's a reason I don't like really hard science fiction because, you know, it's... I'm not as into the, you know, extrapolation of the science, you know, not to say hard science fiction is unimaginative. It, uh, it, you know, it is very much with the technology, but I want to see weird shit. I don't need to see stuff that could exist in real life. I think the more fantastic stuff is just a little more fun to me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I think that one of the things I appreciate the most about Star Trek Voyager is that it very much leans into Mm. the soft sci-fi nature of Star Trek in general. You know, Star Trek is not hard sci-fi. And Star Trek Voyager, I think, understands that to a degree that perhaps no other Star Trek series has. Well, it's not embarrassed about being soft sci-fi in a way. I think that's maybe a better way to phrase it. It's... yeah. It really, you know, there there is a a sentiment a lot of times that the hard stuff is more pure, is you know better, is more intellectually satisfying, is more challenging, and I think Voyager is saying, well, that's not really the case. Like we can, you know, we're not interested in that. We're more interested in telling something entertaining or taking a concept and personifying it. You know, what's the weirdest alien we can, you know, what's the weirdest culture of an alien we can think of? Okay, well, what would that mean? You know, what what would it be like to meet one of those people? Right. I I think that's right. And I, I, one of the things that I keep thinking about this when you're, as you were talking is that it also really ties in very nicely to the other kind of, one of the other central tenets of Star Trek is that, you know, good faith, they believe Mm. people. And yes, this is a very strange alien species that probably could not exist in real life. This is soft sci-fi, but it's also being used to once again, highlight exactly how trusting Starfleet is as a general rule. Yeah. You know, she appears are kind of like briefly suspicious of her. They do their due diligence and try and figure this out, but there's no real hard evidence one way or the other. And so, you know, Janeway asked Chakotay, do you believe her? And Chakotay says, yeah, you know what I do. And that's enough for Janeway. And that's just such a nice thing Mm. that Star Trek goes back to over and over again, that, 
she doesn't mean any harm. Chakotay believes her. Nothing really bad happens. I, you know, there's not yeah, even, even really the, much of a plot here. Even the antagonist is not trying to hurt anybody on the ship. And, you know, he's just doing his job. He's hunting down his, you know, quarry and he does what he's supposed to do. You know, he's not, he's, you know, they, they, they very much prefer to do their work, not even with anybody on the ship, even knowing that, you know, it, and that makes sense, you know, trying to be as unobtrusive as possible. Yeah, I agree with that because I think that one of the, one of the things that I always, that always sticks out of my mind about this is, the one setup thing of the episode that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me is how Kala and Chakotay originally met because she was there on the ship hiding out in the same way that the tracer at the end of the episode is hiding out and erases her memory with the eraser, you know, ray gun or whatever. And they cooperate with her in finding this fugitive. And that's the one part of the episode that I'm always kind of like... Yeah. Why? Why would they I mean, do that? There are species that want to be left alone. They're trying to do this as unobtrusively as possible. Um, I don't know. We don't know the terms in which she left the ship in the first place. Let's let's think about that. She could have memory zapped him and then he's going to go back home fine and Janeway's not happy about it, but – you know, the situation is resolved and things have been taken care of. And then it's a couple weeks later, she comes back. They've forgotten quite all of the details and she can smooth it over. Maybe it's that. That's my fanon. Yeah, I I think that's fine. I, I don't I don't think it's a fatal part of the episode. Yeah, it doesn't really I just, matter. But I just it just feels a little strange to me because they're hel- they're helping her hunt down a fugitive yeah. and yes she could lie and say that this guy murdered someone or something but i don't think she did i think she just said well you know we're a species that likes to be left alone and so we need to find this guy because he ran away and i don't think that they would have agreed to help her in that case i, I really don't and maybe that's maybe the episode is smarter than I think it is because that's kind of the setup for the entire episode where she comes back and is in exactly the same situation that the person that she was hunting was in, in, you know, before the episode started. And that might be the point of it that now she has realized the error of her ways and she realizes that everybody has a right to live how they want. And if they want to go off and, you know, if they want to go off and live on another starship or go off and live on another planet or whatever, they should be able to do that. But that's not the point of the episode. And so it just feels like it's the one part of the episode that never really works because it just seems a little half-baked. Like, I wish that they would have gone a little bit more or thought a little bit more into a setup for this episode that would have made a little bit more sense because yeah yeah it 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 might just be enough that i don't think the episode would have really changed that much if i guess it would i don't know i just there's something about it that just is vaguely unsatisfying to me and i'm not sure that i really need to fix it i just need to highlight it and say this is unsatisfying I mean, maybe it could have been as simple as saying, and in his escape, he killed two people. You know, that 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 is enough for Voyager to say, well, you know, we, we 
Sure. That is enough for Voyager to say, well, we don't really care about whether he wants to leave his society or not, but he did kill people and he does need to get justice for that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Again, well, that's our that's us rewriting the episode. <laughs> that's your favorite thing to do. And then I guess the other thing, too, is that part of why I think this episode works is everyone is just really happy for Chakotay. I, I, I think that, like, I think back to the scene with Neelix in the mess hall where Chakotay is having trouble sleeping and he's kind of on the fence about this whole situation and... You know, Seven of Nine is saying, oh, well, they're both blushing, but, you know, and Seven of Nine is doing a weird Seven of Nine thing about human relations, which, you know, is getting a little old, but whatever. And, you know, Neelix talks Chakotay, I don't know if he talks Chakotay into it, but he he kind of helps Chakotay realize that he should be open to this and that he should perhaps just want to see where this is going. And there's a lot of nice, quiet stuff in this. I mean, that's why I think I like this episode is that in general, it's just very quiet. It's very nice. Yeah. It's not the most revelatory episode, but it all works well. And all of the characters, it's all coming from a place of all of the characters just want Chakotay to be happy. And they recognize that this woman makes him yeah. happy, even if he doesn't recognize it yet. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where Chakotay kind of needs permission to have a relationship in a way. He needs permission to be able to feel this he is very guarded and defensive and literally everybody around him is saying dude it's okay you can go out with this person right right because she's great you like her enjoy it be happy and it is a weird situation i mean we have to admit that as well i mean if someone appeared in your house and said we were in love but you don't remember me i think you might be a little weirded out by that as we all would and What's nice about it is that I think the the actress who plays Kala as well is doing a very good job of 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 being the type of person that Chakotay would be attracted to, mm-hmm. but but not. It's it's not a act. It, she's she's obviously just a nice person. She is very funny. She's the type of person that Chakotay would be attracted to, and the idea it's playing around yeah. with, of course, is that. Love needs a lot of different things to to take root or take hold, and that's kind of one of the central questions of the episode. But at its core is that even if you don't remember this, the fact that they are fundamentally the same people should be enough to get them to fall in love with each other again. And it is, right? At least twice, and the third time it doesn't work, and the third time it doesn't work mostly because the episode needs to end. But... It's also because she's not giving it a chance. And I think that's what what it's kind of well, a, she doesn't have the experiences that led her to, you know, she had to stay on the ship for X amount of time as she was stalking this guy. And then just naturally, she saw these people saw Chakotay a bit. You know, she had to work with Chakotay. So she got to know him, got to feel close to him, got to. And all of those, this all happened the first time. The sick, the circumstances kind of pushed her in a position to be open to this and she worked with it in after the memory wipe she has no reason staying there all for all she knows is you know she just left home and she wants to get back there she's in this strange place with strangers she has no reason to stay there anymore so she's kind of not she doesn't get the opportunity to see all this maybe if she had to stay on the ship for another two weeks it would be different but that's not the case now. Yeah, no, I think that's right because I, what that really comes down to for me is is an understanding that Chakotay is more open to new experiences than she is. 
Yeah. And she got into a position where she fell in love with Chakotay because she was on the ship for reasons that had nothing to do with that. But once she's in a position where she doesn't need to be on the ship, she's not going to give herself a chance to fall in love with Chakotay. She finds it a dangerous idea, a heretical idea even. And the idea that this species wants to be left alone for reasons that are never really clear, but it's enough that they're a xenophobic species that just wants to go out and hunt hunt other members that, that go out. It makes sense, and I think it's really it, it's really sad and bittersweet at the end of the episode that that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, put it this way: Chakotay is very reticent when he first meet her. Meets her, he's very suspicious of the story, and again, he needs permission from all of his friends and coworkers to say it's okay. You're, you're fine. You can do this. She doesn't have any of her friends and coworkers saying it's okay. You can go. They're all saying, "Come back home. It's time to." Right. You know, you had your little adventure. So she doesn't have that encouragement either. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And the episode also, I think, nicely uh, shortcuts one of the objections I had at the very beginning of the episode, where uh, early on in my notes I wrote, "Well, why didn't he just write this down on a piece of paper?" Right. And yeah. and then of course he does that at the end, and it's kind of revealed that. Uh, that was kind of just an oversight on Chakotay's part that he didn't do yeah. that initially. Maybe he figured, all right, it'll be kinder to forget, or I don't really believe that I'll forget her. I'm going to remember her. It kind of makes sense, right? Like they fell in love. She needs to leave. And why does he want to remember that? Yeah. But it also, I mean, doesn't that also highlight the question, though, of of, of there's always this idea that you know, when, when a relationship that you're in ends and, and you're sad about it, you, you wish you could not remember it or something. And yeah, I don't think that's really true though. I mean, I, I don't think that it's a good idea that to actually forget these things. And that's kind of the other part of it as well, that the Chakotay might've thought that at the beginning, but like most people, he realizes that that's not really a good thing and it's not really yeah. tenable. And that's why he's writing that those memories down at the end of the episode. Oh, it's like that movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minds. Yeah, maybe Star Trek Voyager should sue whoever made that movie for copyright infringement. (laughs) Oh, God, at least we have no Jim Carrey episodes of uh, Star Trek. Oh, God, is there one? Nah. (laughs) All right, we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on the Omega Directive or Unforgettable, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. As I said earlier, this podcast is listener-supported. Please go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow and give now. It also supports our other podcast tuning in. This week we are talking about the X-Files episodes, Unusual Suspects, and Detour. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on all those places. Truckabout Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. All right, we've got two podcasts left, and then we're going to go into the fifth season of Star Trek oh, Voyager. Wow. We are four episodes of Star Trek Voyager away from the end of the Jerry Taylor era of this show. Oh. I don't think that the fourth season has held together as well as we initially had thought it was at the beginning of this, but hey. You, you, you deal with what you get. Next week, we're going to be talking about Living Witness and Demon. Demon.